Welcome to the 40th episode of the Hail Married Podcast. I'm A. Toves, and I'm joined by my husband, The Toves. We're back to give our hot takes on our win over Western Kentucky and throw some Hail Mary shots downfield for our listeners to love or hate. Let's get started. The game wasn't the offensive showdown that we were all expecting, but the Roadrunners hung on for the win. The Roadrunners have tried all season to get their run game going, and finally were successful this game with 213 of 486 yards of offense coming on the ground. The offense had a great start, scoring a rushing touchdown on their first possession, but would stall on their next two drives. After Western Kentucky briefly took the lead in the second quarter, the Roadrunners came back to score in the next two drives with a rushing touchdown from Brady and a 49-yard field goal from Sackett to take a 17-14 lead into halftime. The Roadrunners started off strong in the second half. They methodically drove down the field on the offense, but it almost ended in disaster as Chris Carpenter fumbled on the goal line. Fortunately, Josh Cephas saved the day by recovering the ball in the end zone for a touchdown. They were unable to put the game out of reach when they failed to convert on a fourth down drive in the red zone at the end of the quarter. On defense, the runners held Western Kentucky scoreless in the third quarter, but let Western Kentucky get back in the game in the fourth by scoring touchdowns on their first two possessions. Ultimately, UTSA did just enough to hold them at bay, recovering an onside kick attempt, quickly scoring a touchdown, and converting on a key fourth and two late in the fourth quarter to seal the victory, 31 to 28. What were your thoughts on the game? Well, it was very much a take what you can get kind of day, I think, on offense. <laughs> like it, it was clear that Western Kentucky kind of came in and just did not want to let the big three and Frank go wild. It was like, you know, Frank could throw us down to any of these three receivers and they, they're just going to rip our defense apart. And their defense really, as I said before, has not been very good. So... This, I think, was a good test for the future for UTSA in which, you know, again, they take what you can get, but I think also you had a key word in the recap, which was methodically. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, I think important because I think there were times when Frank got a little impatient and tried to, you know, I, I don't think he had his accuracy down at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, otherwise it just felt like, it felt like you know that we could have attacked a little bit more, but on the other hand, it was like no, this is this is what Western Kentucky wanted us to try and prove that we could do. Um, that said, what, what what did you think about the the game overall? You know, it's interesting. My thoughts and emotions were very different at the end of the game compared to when I watched Trailer in his post game um, press conference. Like he just seemed excited you know, just really happy about how the team played. He said it was the most complete um, win that they had. He compared it to an NFL game. And, you know, maybe his comparison to the NFL game is why I felt the way I did because I sort of felt like at the end of the game, like, the sigh of relief, like, okay, we hung on and won. And part of it was because, again, we've become accustomed to a much more exciting offense, you know, a lot of passing, Um, and this game was much more balanced in terms of the run game. And, uh, for those of you who know me, they know that I'm not really into the NFL because again, it is a much more methodical game. You know, you see a lot more short passes just to get, you know, the, the first down, um, you see run plays, you know, and again, it's, it's the lack of those 
crazy trick plays that we've all become accustomed to and from UTSA. You know, the lack of the splashy offense, the downfield passes um, that you see in college games that you just don't see in the NFL. And so it was just interesting because I kind of felt a little like, again, a sigh of relief. It's not that I wasn't happy that we won, but, you know, I sort of felt like I was kind of holding my breath the whole game. And then to see, you know, that kind of, you know, compared to Trailer, who really is probably one of the most you know, sort of happy, content trailers that we've seen um, in a post game this season. Yeah, I think it made the comments too. It was like, it felt like we were in control, but not in control. Like, it, it was it was just this weird feeling the entire game where, uh, you know, it, it did seem like we had opportunities to really put the stamp on the game, but it wasn't anything that Western Kentucky did. It was just, to me, failure to execute and failure just to... Mm-hmm really just put the game away and, and you know I, I guess for me you know looking back I think you know you, you see that that Western Kentucky defense I had kind of talked about doing a lot of blitzing didn't blitz so right. it, it didn't give us that man-to-man that Frank would have eaten up again and right. just rehashing a little bit of that and then that offense it, it's Western Kentucky fans are just so hype on it right like they're they're just talking about like you know, this is about as good as last year's, but it's not. It's an East-West one that I kind of talked about in the last podcast, and it just seems to be much more conservative. Right. Like, there was no shots downfield. There's a lot it, of sideline passes. Yeah, and, and so those are the kind of bubble screens, kind of quick passes out there, you know, fed into exactly what you talked about in terms of NFL game. It's just like, let me get out the let me get the ball out quick and not let the UTSA defense really... Um, really uh, you know put a hold on this game that and i think i think part of me really looks back on it and thinks well because the utsa's defense we talked about has just kind of bad in terms of tackling what's the easiest way to force them into this well kind of going one-on-one with some of these passes and going east west this gets them into some more space and this forces utsa to prove or show that they can actually tackle and we'll get into it a little bit later but that really wasn't as successful yeah, I think the thing that was probably the most frustrating for me was when Trailer went for it on fourth down in the end zone, like kind of end of third quarter. And if we would have scored, I think the game would have been out of reach from Western Kentucky. And we just, you know, had a bad play call, didn't execute it well, whatever. We'll get into that later, but it just didn't work out. And I think that was the most frustrating thing was not being able to put the game away. Trailer alluded to the same thing um, in the post game where he talked about how we had that opportunity with Houston and we weren't able to execute on it. You know, at least this time, you know, we were able to come out victorious at the end. Yeah, that, that opportunity just demoralized. Western Kentucky and give them no more hope. Like right. that, that just kind of escaped. And that kind of brings me to this next thing that I kind of want to talk about, which is, you know, today we find out that Jared Sackett won CUSA Special Teams Player of the Week. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of was like, well, he just had a ho-hum performance, right? Like it was four extra points in a field goal. And then you remind me, you're like, well, it was 49-yard field goal. True. But when you watch that field goal, it... I guess with Jared, as much as we've kind of given him a, you know, a bit of a hard time in some of these episodes, I know that he can do that. And I kind of, we've seen his, you know, his field goal kicking and, you know, 
the distance that he can kick it. And even this one was like probably could have been good from 60 because, it, I mean, it, it was a hell of a field goal kick. Yeah. Um, but it kind of feels like, I don't know, it's just because we see them all the time. It's just like we're almost minimizing some of the, some of the I, I would say, great play from UTSA players, right? right? And, and it's almost kind of taken for granted. At least I feel that way. Maybe right. others don't. But I kind of want to bring this up because, you know, it did get me thinking. Let me ask you this. Are we as UTSA fans really kind of expecting a level of unrealistic dominance from this team? Like, it's kind of seemed to have caused frustration. So because of it, like, they're just always, well, we didn't tackle. We didn't do this. And it feels like because we've talked about how talented this team is, that because of it, we're really expecting, I would say, maybe blowing out all these opponents. Right. It's not happening. Right. I mean, and I went back and I looked you know, at the scores just from last year compared to this year, because at times it felt like we had a lot more, you know, dominant wins last season. I really had to go back and remind myself that it was only really three games in which we were very dominant. The other games, it was all one possession games or pretty close to one possession games. So yeah, I think we have, um, maybe gotten some unrealistic expectations in our minds. I mean, you know, the fact that that we won should be exciting and instead, you know, we're we're at the point where we're used to winning now, so it's well, how did we win? And did we, you know, was it a quality win versus a win is a win? <laughs> I feel like Michael Scott when he says in the office, My my, how the turntables have turned or <laughs> it's a because just what, three years ago, twenty nineteen, like we're Bad on offense, not very good on defense. You know, these are the things that, you know, we we look forward to a better coach team. And now we have, I would say, a, arguably a better coach team. Yes, absolutely. But we're not seeing that dominance. And I think also I felt like I maybe get caught up in the fact that this is still a pretty young program. And right. to expect that level of dominance, even though you do have much better players than you have had over the last, you know, over the span of this whole UTSA football history... I think just the excitement that trailer brings and like picking up all these players, seeing that Frank's back, seeing what this offense could be and honestly is, and we'll talk about that here soon. It just feels like there should be a better grip on some of these games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think I really wanted to talk that out with you because it just felt like to me, it was important. It was like, I think, you know, I might have some false, false expectations. Right. And because of that, you know, it's kind of leading to, uh, eh, feeling yet we're four and two. We're twenty three. I think I think twenty three and nine in the tra- in the trailer era. I mean, we were nowhere that record. In no, either our past two coaches. So no, and, like, and <laughs> given the amount of wins that trailer has has brought over his last two and a half seasons, we're pretty close to to breaking even just as a team. You know, and finally getting to that point where, you know, we're gonna have likely at the end of the season, you know, we'll, we'll be a, a winning program. I mean, and that's so exciting. But again, it really took the trailer era to get us to that point. Yeah, and it was a long time, I think, suffering through some bad football that I think even the players would, would hesitantly admit. Right. But it just wasn't, wasn't very good. So, long journey. Last thing I want to talk about in this game <laughs> was the officiating. Uh, um, I made yeah. a little kind of comment to you. 
that like every single <laughs> every single call that was reviewed just stood. The only one that didn't was when your boy Kalechi seemed to have gone in and, and gone headhunting, but it happened pretty much in front of us, and we pretty much knew that wasn't right. no. We knew it was for the, with the shoulder, so we knew that was going to be overturned. However. <laughs> Yeah. Based on the way the game, went. I know I was afraid that they were going to say exactly. the call stands because <laughs> that was the only one they overturned. It was like, well, we called it on the field, and you know, I don't know. We have terrible camera anger angles. We're lazy. I don't know. Yeah, Whatever. Replay official was like, yeah, I'd... I, I really don't want to look at it. Yeah. We'll just, it'll just stand. It'll be fine. Two cool minutes. I'm going to sip on my tea, coffee, <laughs> beer. I don't know, Jack and Coke, and uh, yeah, I don't want to go through the whole hassle of having to replay this over and over. So yeah, I mean, it was. I, I think a lot of the plays, I think on during the rewatch, certainly I think there was a lot of plays that I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, you go with the call. Like, there, there really wasn't any angle, even from ESPN, that kind of showed right. it. Um, the only one maybe was, uh, was it the Dan Dishman call, which led to that fourth and one. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that he actually, like, extended the ball. And I think that was part of the problem. It felt like he had the ball tucked and he had it on his right shoulder um, and when he stepped out after he kind of got clipped by one of the uh, Western Kentucky defenders, when he stepped out, he stepped out around the six or so, but it felt like on slow rewatch that he had stepped out and that ball was still behind him. Mm-hmm. Hence why the referee called it the way he did. Now, I'm not saying that there's, that that's, that, you know, it couldn't have been a first down. I'm just saying like, when you look at it like that, because he had his shoulder, his right shoulder behind him, I think that affected the call. And, you know, again, I think he needs to just take a little... I think for the future, Dan, talk to our boy Frank Harris, because Frank loves to extend the ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think in that case, it would have been safe to extend the ball, and you would have been fine. But right. it's it was a tough play overall because of the way he kind or of got Cephas, clipped. the Cephas backstretch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, let's talk special teams. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that big play from Kyle Wakefield? Yeah, I mean, we saw the the onside kick coming, and man, Kyle Wakefield was just all over it. And uh, I think uh, your comment in the stands was, "Who they think we are, Texas? Like, we know an onside kick's coming." <laughs> well, and, and you know, as much as I made a joke out of it, here's the other thing: as much as we've given Justin Burke a hard time, especially the coordinator, on some of the coverage issues you know this to me was all about coaching because just going back on the rewatch and i watched it a few different times um i believe it's ken robinson robinson that's on the other side of kyle both of them kept looking at the kicker and they did not turn their backs much like texas did that's why that's why utsa played the played the onside kick at that time because if you actually went back and watched that replay of texas Texas defenders, as soon as Jared was going up to kick off, they immediately turned their heads and backs, and they were starting to go downfield to set up their blocks. Hence why Trailer called the onside, because you're not paying attention to what you're doing. And that has to have seeped into Kyle and possibly even Ken, if, if it is Ken that was there. Because Kyle did exactly what you're supposed to do. He attacked it. Because the kicker couldn't couldn't do anything. He couldn't. Mm-hmm. He had to wait to touch the ball. Right. And he just stood there helplessly as Kyle went and attacked it and got it. Now, Kyle could have fumbled, you know, kind of fumbled around with it or whatever. But again, I think that's why you have Kyle Wakefield right there. And, right. and to me, this is all about coaching. 
I get that Kyle Wakefield did make a great play, and I'm not minimizing it whatsoever, but I think a lot of that also has to be lauded for the I'm sure they probably practiced it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and But that's the awareness. Those are the sort of small details that I think that sometimes we take for granted. I just wanted to call that out because I think, again, giving Justin Burke a hard time, but I think in the way he coached up Kyle, and again, Kyle being aware. I mean, I'm not, again, not minimizing what Kyle did, but I think a lot of that comes to coaching, and I, good for him for paying attention and being the man on the spot. Yeah, and, you know, overall this game, you know, they're, Outside of one kickoff return, um, you know, they had Jarrett kind of kicking it through to, to the, the end zone and they weren't recoverable um, kicks, so, or returnable kicks. So this time it was, you know, we didn't give up any yardage except for that one bad kickoff return yeah. where, you know, first of all, you could tell that we, you know, we're not doing a good job with our blocks and our tackling. And then, you know, poor Jared's got to be the guy to try to tackle. And that's when, you know, you miss the Hulk. Um, <laughs> but uh, then we had to, you know, add insult to injury there and have the late hit. So that we we gifted them even more yards. Yeah, a little undisciplined play by Donye Taylor there. But, you know what, you know, I thought we just weren't, we just looked kind of sloppy on the way down. And it didn't seem surprising once, uh, you know, Western Kentucky brought it back. That said, you know, I think overall it was good special teams performance. I was was frustrated by the fact that Western Kentucky's, I think, one and only punt, or the first punt, I should say, should have been, should never have gotten off. I mean, it was a really good play by the Western Kentucky punter because somehow he still got it off. And he got it, not just got it off, like he managed to... Pick a really yeah. good punt. It did pin us back a few yards. But, I mean, that's, again, where you would have hoped that UTSA would have been able to get to him and at least mm-hmm. tackle him or at least force him to stumble and potentially, you know, lose the ball or something. But, you know, again, you can go ticky-tack on some of those plays. But, you know, definitely one I think the special team does want back. I think this is the most we've ever talked about special teams. So right. kind of giving them their due because... Um, as I was going to actually bring up later, but, you know, it is sad. We are six games into the season. That means we're halfway through the season. Yep. Like, that's, I think, a tough pill to swallow because it, it just means we only have possibly six more games, potentially a bowl game, to, you know, enjoy this team. So um, let's move on to the offense. Part of the preview, I talked about grind them on the ground. And I think I'm not the only one that brought this up, but... Um, it's one of the best run game performances of the season, as you kind of alluded to earlier in your recap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was great to see both Brady and Smith, um, you know, have some nice runs. And you really got to see, I think, in this game, the difference between the two styles of running. You know, where Smith has that, like, ability to burst. You know, there were a couple of times when he instead of following um, the blockers and going through the middle, he kind of bounced around the side and had some nice runs. And then you really got to see from Brady, man, apparently he's got some pretty powerful legs there because he was able to just like (laughs) dig in and, you know, grind and get the the push from the offensive line across the the end zone for his touchdown. It was very much reminiscent. I mean, this is overused, but it's more like thunder and lightning. I mean, you get the big thunder and Brendan Brady, and you get the lightning quickness of Traylon Smith. And 
No, I, I just wished I had made a Hail Mary shot last week and said this was going to be the big Traylon breakout. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen, but, you know, to your point, there were flashes. And I just wish, um, as you described, hopefully we can get Traylon out on the edges some more because I think you know, he's not really the best at his best when he's going up the middle unless, you know, there's a solid hole open. And for the most part, Brendan's really kind of creating those, as you had kind of mentioned, with his strength. Traylon, on the other hand, when he bounces out, I think he starts putting himself in space, and now you're trying to track him down with the speed. Right. Um, you know, I think there's still, you know, Traylor kind of mentioned he's still not completely healthy. So, you know, obviously, although I called it early, you know, potentially here for, a, you know, a, you know, a Hail Mary shot, this would be his breakout game. I think it is coming because... Maybe it's next game because uh, we'll talk about <laughs> FAU in a little bit, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um but let's talk about Frank because that was the next part of the preview review. He needed to take advantage of those Western Kentucky blitzes. They only blitzed him four times. <laughs> so it's unfair to say, well, he only went two for four for for seven yards. Uh, yeah, it's not as good as you'd hope. But then again, like, you know, if they're only blitzing you four times, right. it, it's teams I think are learning that you, you just can't be blitzing UTSA all the time. Yes. The offensive line is not the most stout line. I think it's getting better as the season has gone on. However, letting your secondary go one-on-one with the big three and allowing Frank to just kind of, you know, dice him apart, this is not a recipe for success. Right. And I think Western Kentucky was smart in just playing the zone and not blitzing that much because in doing so, it kept them in the game. Right. All right, so uh, one of the things we had talked about was the offense being sluggish, but again, much because it was a ground game and a very, like you had talked about with Trailer, very NFL-ish. So I think mm-hmm. that that made it hard at times to kind of get in the game, and I, I think kind of affected a little bit of the timing for, you know, obviously Frank. There were a few times because of that zone, um, the zone defense that I had mentioned to you, hey, did you notice that Frank kind of double-clutched there? It just seemed like he was ready to... He's, ready for a pass at a certain or to pass at a certain time but because of the zone defense like he realizes oh there's defenders in the way normally that's open I can't make that you know I'm not going to make that throw so you know I, I think it got him kind of thinking a little bit too much instead of being able to just go out there and play and you know he's a quarterback he's going to have to do that but you know you you kind of wish that he would have that opportunity to just you know let it rip and you know what happens happens now that's I'm not trying to say that, you know, I'm hoping that he throws up a whole bunch of interceptions so he, I can come on here and bash him or anything. It's just, I think he played smart. It was just, I could I could feel his frustration and not being able to let it go whenever he wanted to let it go. One thing that I, I was going to ask you about was a little interesting to me in this game was that, you know, we've really seen Trailer only play the big three for the majority of the minutes. You know, I mean, Cephas... JT, Zakari have been out there the majority of the snaps, and you really haven't seen a rotation. But it seemed like he had other receivers rotating through more. And, you know, the snap count was still less than I thought it was in my mind when I went back and looked at it. But, you know, we saw Tyke out there. We saw Karch Gardner, um, Chris Carpenter. It just seemed to me like an interesting time for him to start – a, putting in other receivers in this game, and then B, it seemed like 
Frank was throwing to different receivers this game. And, and maybe that's just the way the defense was playing kind of those big three, but just wanted your uh, thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I mean, I felt like they had ta- kind of taken out the big three a lot. And so it was, I think it really came down to Frank having to find a different receiver. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't see much from Oscar. A lot of a lot of it was Oscar blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of saw, you mentioned Karch Gardner. Um, I think that's a throw that, you know, he ended up dropping it. But I think it's a throw that, um, even though he should have caught it, I will say, I think Frank would want that throw back because it was kind of lofted a little too much and Karch had to go up and, like, jump to catch it. And he, he's not as tall as the other guys. No, no. And, I mean, he still made a really good play on it to at least get his hands on the ball. The, the problem is, though, is that, you know, you haven't played, so you're not ready for that hit. To me, I can imagine his hesitancy as he went up to make that catch. Like, mm-hmm. a Cephas... Uh, you know, a JT is just going to go up there and know they're going to get hit. They felt it for the last five games, so nothing different. Right. Karch not feeling that type of hit. You know, you bring in, say, a Taiki or somebody else, and I think it's a different story. And so it is interesting that he's starting to kind of bring in, you know, having to kind of rotate some of these wide receivers, but I think you also have to find some time to get those guys some rest because, right. you know, I think – we're going to allude to this a little bit more, but, you know, I, the tougher conference part of the schedule is, is starting to come up, and I think we're going to need the big three to be pretty fresh. Right. Speaking of which, injuries, injuries, injuries. This well, offensive line just cannot stay healthy. No. Um, unfortunately, it looks like Mackay got, Hart got hurt. Now, I didn't really notice it. Um, you know, I think he played, like, three, three quarters. Of the, well, Trailer know. said he walked off the field. Like, he didn't go down so that's probably why it wasn't so noticeable yeah and and i think that plays a part into it because you know with venley when he went down that looked like catastrophic um and then when terrell went down i mean he was riding around so both of those looked catastrophic at, to- at the time you know even said as much when we watched the rewatch it's a good thing they weren't they weren't because they, right. they were able to come back um i'm just a little hesitant you know, after seeing all this stuff in the NFL with the concussion protocol, and I get that this wasn't a hit to the head or anything, I still kind of just get hesitant, especially with college players, when they're, it feels like they have to come back in and play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm bringing it up more as a, you know, I think that's something we need to be vigilant as well. You know, Makai had just come back from injury, and look, he's injured again, and now it looks like he's out for the season. Yeah. So... You know, as much as we focus on the, you know, concussions and everything, it, it can happen anywhere. And I think we should, be, as fans, be vigilant and think, you know, should he be coming back at this point? You know? Well, and likely the same thing happened with Madison, because didn't he come back and play a game and now he's out for the season? Although... He went down a couple times during the Middle Tennessee game. The, yeah. the second time, I think, was the one that knocked him out. But, you know, to your point... You just hate he, to see that, especially yeah. for these super seniors that have come back, you know... You want them to be healthy and, and get to enjoy their, their last year eligibility. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, enough doldrums about the injuries. We're at the at the midway point, as I referenced earlier. Let's talk a little bit about the offense. It's averaging 498.3 yards per game, which is ranked 11th in the nation. 37.2 points per game, ranked 27th. They're on track for the best offensive yardage and best scoring UTSA team of all time. Wow. Last year's team was pretty potent. Yeah. This one, this one with no, uh, I'd say, no NFL running back prospect, 
is even better. A lot of it has to do with the fact that we have, you know, obviously a, a, a wide receiver core that's, you know, a year older and Frank just being a wizard. Uh, but just incredible to see some of these things. Like Frank is 155 for 224. He's completing 69% of his passes. He's got 1,997 yards, almost 2,000. It'll be, it'll be 2,000 <laughs> yeah. very uh, quickly. 13 touchdowns, four interceptions. I mean, we're at halfway point. I mean, you double all these things. He's close to getting to 4,000 yards passing, 26 touchdowns, you know, maybe not eight interceptions. Let's hope that that's not the case. Yeah. We'll just take that that three from Middle Tennessee out as an anomaly. Yeah, yeah. Um, But still, like, those are just, those are getting to start being almost UTSA video game type numbers because Mm -hmm. we haven't seen that type of passing or offensive attack. Rushing-wise, Brendan Brady's 98 rushes for 386 yards, five touchdowns. Frank, 52 rushes, 254 yards, five touchdowns. Traylon's kind of trailing there, but, I mean, he hasn't really had a chance to really play too much. Right. Um, Josh Cephas leads leads the team in receptions, 44 for 549 yards, two touchdowns. You know, Zakari, 43 catches, 586 yards, six touchdowns. And JT, who obviously is our big play receiver, only, quote-unquote, 39 catches for 618 yards and, oh, only seven touchdowns. Right. Um, obviously, JT's the big play guy, um, but just amazing the numbers these guys are putting up. You know, I think looking back to 2019, when we first started seeing these names pop up, you know, Frank really looking like he might actually play a whole season, didn't get a chance to, but I don't think I would have ever, ever imagined saying, Frank's on pace for almost 4,000 yards passing. Right. And and JT, I mean, we weren't even really talking about JT in 2019. We were not. I mean, it was just like... We really well, weren't talking about JT until the end of 2020, to be honest. Right. It's just amazing to me, just, just the growth. Mm-hmm. You know, whether, you know, you want to say it started with Frank Wilson or, you know, whether it's been Trailer, whatever it is, just amazing to see where these guys started from, where they are. And for us, I think as fans, look back three years ago and say, would you have imagined that this would have been almost the end result of, of these three guys? At no. least these three receivers. No. Incredible. I think we would have really still been stuck on Sincere and what, you know, right. him potentially rushing for, you know, 2,000 yards or something like that. All right, with that, let's talk offensive player of the game. It's the guy that I said at the beginning of the year was I had a soft spot for. <laughs> I'm going Josh Cephas. Yes, I know that I think the line played really well, especially the interior. Maka had a hell of a game. Um, you know, he can just is consistent. And again, one of those guys, as I almost mentioned earlier about, you know, Jared Sackett, he gets overlooked, but man, he, you know, continues to show up every single game and play really well. Josh Cephas, I, the reason I'm doing this is because, you know, he had a lot of key plays. Notably for me was obviously the Carpenter recovery in the end zone, but that fourth down, you mentioned it earlier, the kind of backstretch that we turned around and made sure that no matter what, I'm going all out to get that first down. Right. I just... Uh, and it know. was the difference of the game. Right. I mean, it closed out the game for us there. And I just think, based on... I just want to go back real quick. We mentioned um, in one of our early podcasts, we'd gone to the, the COVID um, bowl game. And we had seen this friction between Josh and Frank um, during that game against Louisiana. Just interesting to see how the one that makes the, the big play here to close out this game was a pass to Josh. 
Um, really in a spot where I think you're going to find Josh anyway. Could have gone to Zakari, could have gone to JT, nope. Went to me, to the sure-handed Josh Cephas. All right, so let's go on to the defense. A little preview review. Um, first thing we said, or I said, was beast out with that open field ta- tackling. <laughs> I mean, it was underwhelming, um, considering there's plenty of opportunities for that wrap-up or, you know, or stopping these Western Kentucky receivers short. I, I just think it's always going to be just a point of contention. I just don't mm-hmm. want to beat it into the ground. You know, tra- you know, trailer, you know, addressed it during this past week, said, you know, we really look at the yards after contact. Okay, well... Here's how why you can't close out games on defense is because you're missing tackles and you're allowing you're allowing these receivers to get extra yards and extend drives. So I get where he's coming from. However, you counter with this game with the Western Kentucky game where you know they they really had a, a plenty of plenty of uh, plays that they broke. Western Kentucky, I just didn't think had the right game plan offensively for this. Um, that's a the other thing I said was to get to line, he needs to get pressure on on uh, Austin Reed. You know, he did well when he got blitzed or just under pressure overall. But the thing is, when you're getting blitzed, you want to push that ball down the field. And he really wasn't pushing that ball down the field. Mm-hmm. It was short. You know, there were some medium passes, like between 10 and 20 yards, which is still, you know, a nice length of pass. But it... I would say overall with Austin Reed, I just was not impressed with him. You know, I said that he was a pretty average-ish quarterback. I didn't. I got the comparisons to Bailey Zappi, but I just never felt like the defense had really had a lot to worry about. You had another take on him. Oh, I just <laughs> felt like he had a, a bit of a dad bod. was not what I was expecting to see from a, a quarterback that's been spoken so highly of. Like a little gut there. I mean, he did come from FCS. He still needs some FBS shape, but <laughs> I mean, so did Bailey Zappi. But you know, looked like he was in better shape. <laughs> Hence, why I felt like the defense was going to be okay in this game. Um, you know, I think that there's certainly some things that they can improve on offensively to really threaten a defense, at least a good defense. I think they'll still do some damage against some of these Conference USA defenses just because not all Conference USA defenses have the personnel that UTSA has, especially in the secondary. Now, you know, I did notice some plays, at least in the rewatch, that the secondary was motioning towards the sideline where it looks like they didn't have the coverages. And one in particular stood out to me was that Ken Robinson was just started to like just jump around in the air. Yeah, like he was like really trying to get somebody's attention like we don't know what play we're gonna have yeah he had no clue what he was supposed to what he was supposed to be guarding and so you know we've seen these before again i don't really want to beat the dead horse but it toes why are we still seeing this like I, it doesn't make sense to me yeah it was kind of odd because you know we it, it hasn't happened as dramatically in a while and and maybe it was just different player personnel being out there or what have you. But um, it was very obvious, particularly in the rewatch, that there were some times where you could tell we did not have our act together. And you wouldn't expect that with the, you know, the coaches being the same really on the defense this year, or at least in the secondary, compared to, you know, maybe if that was on the offense where we have a new coordinator and, you know. Right. I... I don't have any more answers, but I think that that I think there's ways for 
Western Kentucky, they have taken more advantage of it. They mm-hmm. almost did, um, I believe it was, in, it was in the second quarter, right before their uh, second touchdown to go up 14-7. Um, it was round midfield, and I don't think that they got the signals in, but we had a cornerback go on a blitz, which was weird because he was out wide. Why you were getting blitz that cornerback from out wide, who knows? But because of the pace of the game, there was a, it's a big pass. I can't remember who caught it. I just know that Rashad kind of knocked him out, out of bounds. But it was right before the, like I said, that second touchdown. And again, it looked like Rashad was like looking for the call on the side and didn't know what he was supposed, to, where he was supposed to be at. And so you know, I, I think you know, again, maybe I am beating this a little, little bit too much, but. I think that there are some coaching problems here. So I, I think as we look at some of the stats from the defense, they're going to pop out to you. But I think the other part too of this is, why can't we solve some of these? Like these are just lingering problems, and it's not like we didn't know that Western Kentucky was going to speed up. I mean, right. that's what we do. So you should be used to it. Yeah, you practice I mean, against a team that does that. I think it's just something you have to keep your your eye on as we get further into conference play, because like you said, someone else is going to be watching that game tape. And they're going to try to exploit, you know, that in their games. Exactly. All right. Rashad Wisdom now holds a career record for solo tackles at 176. You know, kudos to Rashad. But, you know, let's be honest. He's had a nice career here at UTSA. And the fact that he wouldn't be up there or at least, you know, have some sort of records, much like Frank is, like, rewriting the UTSA offensive book, would seem just weird. But I think good, again, for, you know, Rashad to get this and really complete this at home even though it really wasn't made a big deal of really cool that he got to do it in the dome all right <clears throat> let's talk again now that we're mid- midway through the season let's talk some defensive stats <sighs> we're giving up 447.8 yards per game it's ranked 115th Oof. in the nation how many teams are there there's 131 okay um 33 points per game which is ranked 111th they're on track for the worst defensive total yardage and third worst scoring defense in utsa history all time look it just just doesn't feel like that should be the case we've had some pretty bad defenses but yeah you know, I think that kind of goes to show you, like, some of the issues that we're having. First of all, this is a talented defense, but we're not getting the turnovers like we did last year. Right. That was a thing that, you know, we could really point to. You know, case in point, we played Western Kentucky last year, you know, in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I think if you were listening or if you were watching the game at the time, you saw that amazing Clarence Hicks interception to, mm-hmm. you know, end the game. We had none of those in this game, right? There was one turnover, and it was the Brendan Brady fumble. And, you know, it just felt like at one point I turned to you, and I was like, it felt like we've turned it over more. I never at any point turned over to you and said, uh, or looked at you and said, hey, we should have gotten, you know, a fumble recovery there. Or, you know, we should have intercepted that pass. Or we should have, like, that's just not happening. I think that's, I think, some of the frustration with the defense, too. Like, Mm -hmm. we're just not getting that. We're not getting to the quarterback, and we're not getting turnovers right now it's funny because trailer made this comment about the defense where he felt really bad for them because he said hey it's you know you guys just look at the defensive stats but you know we're really concentrating on certain things well here's sort of some sobering stats just for you for everybody because he said hey we played some really tough teams have everybody look at those teams and you know you'll see you'll see why we are where we are well 
in the first three games against Houston Army and UT, obviously we went one and two in those three games. We gave up 430 yards per game and gave up 38.7 points per game. Now against Texas Southern, Middle Tennessee, and now Western Kentucky, we've gone 3-0, and but we've given up 465.7 yards per game, an increase of about 35 yards, mm-hmm. but we're only giving up 27.3 points per game. So yes, better teams were giving up less yards, <laughs> but we're getting outscored. Worst teams, we're giving up a whole lot more yards. Right. When you think that that would plummet some more because they're not as good. Right. But we're still giving up about 27 points per game. Um, certainly befuddling. And I think, you know, I, I've been really big on doing some stats. And I looked at, um, if you don't see it on Twitter, but his name is Stats of War. His name is Parker. And really the comparison is, uh, you know, for your team is looking at just how well your offense is doing and then how how well your defense is doing. And we're constantly in the quadrant that's like, good offense, defense needs help. And, I mean, I think that that, again, leads to the whole, oh, we were really expecting dominance, but this defense is just giving it way too many yards. And obviously, you know, not really, you know, making those stops in terms of the points. Though, I would also counter by saying, UT kept, you know, it doesn't take into account, you know, trash time. So, right. Any last thoughts about the defense before going to the player of the game? No, I mean, I guess it really just is surprising to me to hear some of those stats because... I mean, I do feel like we have talented guys on defense, and in some cases, more talented guys than we've had in the past, you know, even compared to last year. But, you know, again, Trailer has a different philosophy on tackling and maybe than maybe your average fan. And, uh, you know, Again, he, he's looking at this from a different lens and, and probably looking at it from the lens of, hey, we're still winning these conference games, so, you know, a win is a win. Very good point. All right, defensive player of the game. I'm going for another guy that I, I think I have more of a soft spot than I ever would really admit to, but it's Ken Robinson. Uh, played safety and cornerback in this game. We've talked about depth in so many positions. We've talked about, you know, how the secondary has gotten torched, you know, some of the issues they've had. We're so fortunate to have a guy like Ken Robinson, who I really thought was going to bust out and be a big-time star. But you know what? He's still good. Maybe he's not the star that I thought that he might pop out to be. But I will say this. How many teams can roll out Corey Mayfield and Nick Troy Fortune, two very good cornerbacks here at this G5 level? You know, I'd argue that Nick Troy is probably better than Corey, and that's not... It's not a hit of Corey. Corey's pretty damn good. So, I mean, that's really two good starting cornerbacks. And then have Ken, who I think is a very solid, good cornerback that if we had him in the early Coker-Wilson years, we'd be like, oh, we've got a cornerback. We've got sort of a shutdown guy. So, just kind of fortunate to me that we have, you know, Ken and can really rely on his versatility. Yeah, and it's a testament, again, to Trailer's culture that he's established, you know, that you see these players you know, really being selfless, you know, and when you listen to him in his interview um, today, again, he was like, I'm going to do whatever coach wants me to do, whatever the team needs, you know, and that really is priceless at the G5 level. And as much as, you know, we like to take some shots, you know, and say like, you know, oh, this guy didn't do this, this guy didn't do that. They're so hard not to like that it's like, 
yeah, I get it. It's UTSA. It's our team. But just watching them talk, watching them play, you know they're giving as much effort as possible, and it's just hard not to really fall in love with these guys. So good job, Ken. We'll move on. All right, let's talk this week's opponent, FIU. It's a short week, Atos. Playing on Friday. 33-point favorites. Initial thoughts on FIU. Well, I think the first thought is we can't overlook them because, again, this should be a very dominant victory, but I feel like when we went back to the Texas Southern game, it was clear that we overlooked them to some extent. Now, again, we still won the game. We still won the game in, in you know, strong fashion, but, you know, we do have North Texas coming up but we can't overlook the FIU game because we're getting ready for North Texas. FIU is a pretty good veteran head coach in Mac, Mike McIntyre, excuse me. Um, he's We've seen him before, I think, um, when he had, I believe it was San Jose State hmm. um, that he coached way back in the Coker years. I could be wrong. I could be off by you know a year or so. But he did put together some pretty good teams. He's got really just a, a big job here because FIU has not really been very supportive of athletics, specifically this football program. That's why Butch Davis ended up leaving. Though Butch left that cupboard empty. Yeah. I do not... Uh, yeah, I, I'm really not stating anything falsely when I say that this team lacks talent and depth at every single position. Uh, you know, I, I think they may have a couple players here or there, but... I would say, I don't think there's a comparison UTSA-wise. You know, UTSA has always had at least a few players um, and have probably have always been better than what FIU is at this point. Um, but, man, FIU is really at rock bottom right now. And I don't know that this gets dug out of from, by Mike within the next two to three years. It, it's This is a major rebuild job. It's not something that, you know you see like a Bob Stoops go to Oklahoma and all of a sudden, you know, they were down in the dumps and then he turned around to, you know, go to a bowl game that next year and then national championship second year. It's not a trailer job here where he's going to just, you know, he's going to get, uh, you know, to seven wins that first year. This this is long-term. So this is why we're kind of big on the being 33-point favorites. This is kind of comparable to Texas Southern a bit. Um, I think they're a little, I think they're more talented by te- well, sure. Texas Southern. But I don't know that it's that much, and I and I, it sounds like I'm joking, but I'm not. Like there, there is, there is certainly, certainly, um, I would say a gap in in talent between Texas Southern and FIU. But I just, I can't tell you that it's that much. Um, that said, let's let's put the warning out here first, because even though it's 33 points, even though it's FIU, UTSA is 0 and 3 all time in Florida. Outscored by an average of twenty-six to fifteen, with the last two visits being a touchdown and then three points. That three points was Trailer's one and only visit to Florida mm-hmm. against FAU back in the COVID season. So obviously we've grown from there. Obviously we're not playing FAU. However, still some tough stats to see. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know again it, this is potentially a trap game you know so you just have to make sure that you stay focused and you stay dialed in and and i like how you put it i mean you know obviously 
a big game is coming up with, against North Texas uh, on homecoming. So certainly an opportunity to look ahead. They're all humans, you know. And, and right. I, I hate it when Trailer says that sometimes because it makes it sound weird when he says, oh, they're such good humans. Um, but yes, they're humans. They might have a penchant for overlooking FIU and you get why but I think they come out focused everything's going to be okay right so let's get into previewing FIU a little um this offense puts up 325.6 yards per game which is ranked 115th out of 131 teams ATOS um and uh they score 16.6 points per game which ranks 125th they put up maybe two touchdowns and a field goal every single game. That's that's what they average. Mm-hmm. That's Frank Wilson type tough offense to watch. <laughs> um, and these guys, I think, have less talent than those than some of those Frank Wilson teams. Mm-hmm. Though that 2018 team, I don't know that that was. I think may have challenged this one. Um, certainly, certainly some things though to kind of look to. Um, at least for FIU, quarterback Grayson James. He took over for Gunnar Holmberg. Um, they, were, they were losing to Bryant University, Bryant College. I can't remember which one was their first game. Yeah. I can't remember if it was college or, or university, but I know it was Bryant. Bryant. I don't even know where Bryant is. I just knew that I turned it on, I saw the score, and I was like, FIU, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're, <laughs> you're FBS. Um, I, I'm a little, you know... Lost for words there, but Gunnar Holmberg, who I think I transferred over from Duke, starting quarterback, he's just not good. That's the simplest way to put it. Sophomore Grayson James took over, and you know he's an average quarterback at best. You know I think he tries to make as many plays as he can with the limited weapons that he has. I mean he's completing about sixty-two percent of his passes. He's got seven touchdowns and four interceptions. Really hasn't thrown for that many yards. It's it's tough for them to churn out yards. Um, that said, they're running back Lexington jo- Joseph. He's a nice short running back. I say short because once again, like look at all these CUSA kind of skill players, and they all seem to be like five ten or under, which I shouldn't be making fun of because I'm about five ten. Um, but but I you just, didn't play D one football. Well, yeah, and that, I think that's where I was going to go with is that which is cool. I'm down with these guys, but yeah, if I'm not playing D1 football at 5'10", then eh, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be. It's just that height differential can be tough. Um, he's, a, he's a good little running back. I, you know, he just doesn't gain many yards. You know, he really struggles. Um, he's averaging 5.5 yards um, per carry. However, that's only because in the last game against Connecticut, he had seven rushes for 103 yards. That bumped up the average. Sure. He was at 3.6. That's that's just not going to do the job. Which tells you a little bit about their offensive line as well. Now, one key guy to talk about here is wide receiver Tyrese uh, Chambers. He's a former UTSA recruit um, coming out of the FCS. Clear that when he came out of the FCS, he picked the wrong school. Because now he's you know sticking it out at FIU at a losing school. However... He has uh, had 27 catches for 262 yards for three touchdowns. He is a very good deep threat. He could challenge the secondary, but I don't see UTSA not potentially going one-on-one with him. And isn't he mm-hmm. maybe injured? I I mean, he's. I think he's on the injured list. I mean, he could play, 
you know, I think if a, a team recruited you, there's a good chance they're probably gonna, you know, he wants to show UTSA what he could do. But sure, you know, I, you know, that's a that's a good question. I don't know that if he actually plays, uh, we'll find out. I guess game time on Friday. As of now, yes, him and two offensive linemen are hurt. Again, the recipe for some UTSA dominance here. Mm-hmm. Only other guy I wanted to mention was Jalen Bracey, who's the next wide receiver threat. Should Chambers be out? He's got 17 catches for 126 yards, one touchdown. 17 catches. For 126 yards, that's like a nine point something average. It tells you that this offense struggles to move the ball, right. and this is something that the defense can really take advantage of. Now let's go to the defense. That defense has given up 447 yards per game, which is ranked 114th, which is one spot ahead of ETSA. <laughs> um, I'm not trying to make. I'm just saying. Look at the difference, though. You know, you've got a yeah. an FIU team that's not very good at all. I, I think we need to challenge your stats on that. You know, on UTSA <laughs> being one fifteenth and FIU being one fourteenth, because I mean they got blown out by Western Kentucky like seventy one to zero. So they gave up seventy one points one game, and you're telling me that statistically they're ranked one spot better than us. That it's hard to believe that again i understand no i understand they are also allowing 38.2 points per game which is ranked 124th which is 13 spots lower than utsa's defense at 33 points per game i want i brought up those midway point things because i wanted to make sure that everybody understood just where we were at and why when i started talking about fiu and how bad they are are we as bad as fiu's defense no no but other thing you need to think about is this. FIU being not very good, especially on offense, they've given up the ball. So shorter fields, that's why their defense has probably given up less yards. They're not they're not long drives. Sure. So that's another reason. Um, this defense overall, not very good, but they are led by linebacker Gaithan Bernadel. Sorry, I think I said his name right. And safety Demetrius Hill. The fact that Hill is, again, one of their top tacklers – Again, you have a secondary player having to be a top tackler. That's just, obviously, even during the UTSA thin years, you know, obviously a recipe for, you know, failure. Um, so here's the UTSA keys to victory. I'm going to keep them simple. On offense, execute early on drives and just jump on that scoreboard early. Defense, wear them down on the line and demoralize a bad offense. This is about demoralizing FIU early, not to, like, not to not, run it up like no, 71 to 0. No, we're not trying to run up the score, but again, I think what UTSA should really have to wants to work on overall on offense and defense, we're not going to give up yards, we're not going to give up points. And that's why I want to see them in a way demoralize them really, take that heart out. All right, before you get to your uh, prediction here, um Bryant is in Rhode Island which is known for its football, which is why you've not heard of them. They are an FCS program from Rhode Island. Um, Yeah, and FIU struggled against them. So, uh, you know, again, I I think it's tough to see this game being too competitive. That's what we said about Texas Southern. So that's why I hesitate, Mm -hmm. you know, with all this. FIU is still an FBS program. So, you know, something that, you know, we've already talked about at nauseum about looking past I just think UTSA exercises their Florida demons. They come out energetic. They come out determined. They put FIU away early. So way too early prediction. 
Give me UTSA 52 to 20 over FIU and they get their first ever win in Florida. Before we go, let's do a little Conference USA roundup. Talk about some of the action that happened in uh, the rest of the conference last week. UAB and Middle Tennessee played. was really hoping that Middle, Middle Tennessee was going to bounce back, but apparently not. Uh, they lost to UAB 41-14. to I guess beating Miami was kind of their apex mountain for the season. I think they're still patting their back on it. I mean, I thought it was hilarious that Rick Stockseal came out after that game and was like making the whole thing about... We got paid a you know 1.7 or 1.6, and they only average 1.5 per play or whatever. It's like, good, you talked your stuff, but you know there's still plenty of games left, right? I know. I mean, <laughs> now he's down two conference games, and he's got Western Kentucky, so. So it gets easier, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you oh. know, apparently there's quite the rivalry between Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky, so. Um, yeah, that'll, oh. that'll be an interesting game. Oh, Rick. Oh, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> Louisiana Tech uh, beat UTEP. Why Par- did they beat UTEP? Tell me, Atos. Apparently, they went with a game strategy of forcing Gavin Hardison to throw. And, well, we know how that works. Wow. Hey, but thank you, La Tech, for, you know, using my game plan, obviously, you know. They must have listened to you. Someone's listening to it. That's right. <laughs> I pat myself on the back for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, looking over the Conference USA standings at this point in the season, I wouldn't have expected to see North Texas sitting atop the standings with us, followed by Rice. But there it is. I'm going to just disagree with you. I thought North Texas would be up there. Uh, you know, again, I think North Texas is a tough squad. Again, I don't know that they're as overall talented as UTSA or some of these other teams, but they just seem to play well at the right time, and they seem to just take advantage of other teams. So, you know, again, why not them? I, I, I think that Latrell is going to be there a little bit longer, and I'm kind of laughing because I know UNC fans probably don't want to hear that. I mean, apparently when he won that game against UTSA, he was like, I'm going to make the most of my next year that I got up. It's, well, I mean, you know, again, good for them. They're having success. It's going to be, I think, a hell of a fight, you know, in a couple weeks when they come into the Dome for homecoming. It's, but it's we can't talk about it now because it's a culture I'm violation. Not, okay. Well, it's not my culture. I, <laughs> I, I don't play for UTSA. But now, let's talk about Rice real quick. Yes, that one is surprising, but based on the way they've played, you know, again, it's just playing, I guess, smart. It's not very good offensively. It's not terribly dominant defensively. But again, much like North Texas, they're playing, I think, in maximizing all of their abilities. Bloom Green, I think, has done a very good job this year to put them in this position. Now, outside of Conference USA, Uh-oh. I'm not sure... What happened? Apparently, there was like, I don't, was there a freeze or a snowstorm in San Marcos, you know, over the weekend that I didn't hear about? Because Texas State beat Appalachian State thirty six to twenty four. So if you said like San Marcos was freezing, is like that like hell freezing over? Yeah. 
<laughs> what happened to Appalachian State? I mean... Well, one of our friends, T-Row, was going to be happy. He's a Texas State alum. I told him, yeah. hey, you guys got an upset. Five hours later, after he saw that, he responded back to me. He's like, yeah, we're back. Um, I was like, I one game. you've never been back. But, <laughs> but uh, no, but seriously, like, you know, that's a hell of a win for Spav. Yeah. I, and, you know, as, as much as, that, you know. That we, is his signature win right there. Yeah, and as much as we make fun of Texas State. Poor Spav, I would say, because of the fact that, you know, he doesn't have the facilities, doesn't have the money or anything infrastructure that Jeff Trailer has. So I think he's maximized everything he can. I don't know. You know, you replace Spav. I don't know who else you bring in unless, you know, Texas State starts trying to fund their program like, you know, an actual FBS program. That said, looks like that they might be headed in the future to a, their first bowl game again good for them they probably need it but um yeah uh app state it, but as much as i'm going to say something about app state this right here atos this is why we love college football because right. anything can happen absolutely. you can go from beating miami one weekend and then getting your butt absolutely handed to you by utsa right or you, you can go to beating you know a&m texas a&m in college station even though it looks like AM's not very good. And then coming to San Marcos and laying a pooper. <laughs> I know. I mean, they only scored three points in the first half. So they scored 21 of their 24 points in the second half. Um, but they still couldn't overcome the Bobcats. So Steaming, steaming pile of poop. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, moving on to something much more positive. Let's All talk right. about... Tariq Woolen. Once again, he is just having a fantastic rookie season. This past game against the Saints, he gets a fumble recovery, and then apparently that wasn't good enough, so he got an interception as well. I mean, what an amazing season Tariq is having. It doesn't make sense, but some guys get to the pros, and they just bloom, and Tariq apparently has. I mean, he He's still also has some work healthy. to do. Which, you know, I is I think he probably could have had a fabulous season last year had he been healthy the whole time, but you know. But I think it's still, a lot harder to catch when you have a club on. <laughs> now now he can catch. He's doing so well and could end up being a defensive player of the year, you know, or defensive rookie of the year, uh, in the NFL. But also Spencer Burford, who's been quietly putting together a, a a solid season yeah. as well as a starter for a team that really is playoff bound and potentially a Super Bowl contender. Two big things. I mean, obviously Tariq's getting a lot of playing time because it's, he's on a bad team, but Spencer being, I think, on a really good team, really good seeing these two guys, essentially a fourth round pick and a, fourth, a fifth round pick, really take off and do well and really represent UTSA and the San Antonio really well. Yeah, and, and the cool thing, going back to Tariq, you know, obviously he's playing the Saints. Marcus Davenport's there. Apparently they must have exchanged jerseys. And, like, Mark, he showed a picture of um, what Marcus had given him and written him, a, like, a really nice note on his jersey. So it was just really cool to kind of see that camaraderie between these guys and, and just seeing the success, again, um, you know, of all of the players that are in the NFL. You know, if these guys have really long careers, three of them, you know, have really big time careers. It speaks well of UTSA, but the fact that they still seem pretty humble and pretty still like, yeah, really still 
understanding and taking essentially the culture they got with trailer of stacking more good days on top of each other you routinely hear that from both like from at least Spencer we've heard it from and I think Tariq is kind of mentioned as much <laughs> so to see them kind of carry that on and make that just part of their lives I, I still think we've got some big things coming from uh, from all three of them really but you know definitely from Spencer and Tariq since they're the most recent um, and then last but not least, women's soccer returns to Park West for a game against Middle Tennessee on Thursday at 7 p.m. So if you are able to go, go support them. Um, it's a pink out game. You know, they've, they've had, a, I think, an up and down season a little bit. Um, a lot of some tough losses. You know, they just haven't... Well, some tough ties. Because they well, tied this year. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been some things where, like, you know, they, they've obviously, like, had a couple of games where they've lost last minute, had some last minute scores. So, you know, it's just the fact that they haven't been able to put that offense together and really, you know, I think pile on some of these teams that they probably should have been piling on and then end up losing to them, you know, in a heartbreaking fashion. Houston, you know, stands out to me because they really had so many opportunities against Houston and they just could not get the ball on the goal. All right, well, that wraps it up for this week. So thank you for joining the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atos. And I'm the Toves. We'll be back next week to recap our big win over FIU. Birds up.